0: All right. Well, hey, we are, um, the the title of this message is Life of Enthusiasm. And uh, we are going to be out of John chapter 4. And John chapter 4 covers two interactions. And so if you have time throughout this week, I encourage you to go read that. Um, But John chapter 4 has two interactions, one of the woman at the well and the nobleman and the healing of his son. Uh, This is an awesome chapter because it shows that there are two miracles one spiritual healing, and one physical healing. Um, But inside of this is one message. It's new beginnings. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the life of enthusiasm, what is new beginnings. And I'm not talking like uh, shallow new beginnings or like hopeless new beginnings, kind of like the Dallas Cowboys are having right now. Like, I'm talking real stuff, okay? Any Cowboy fans here? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I have to plug it because Charlie's not here, right? (laughs) Go Cowboys. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, 1 through 26. And I'm going to read this, and it's going to be a little lengthy, uh, so just bear with it. Here we go. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing, and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. Uh, Just quick pause. I love that Jesus equips and gives away. He always shows us that he equips and he gives away. He equips and he gives away. So we're going to see that. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field of Jacob, given to the son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and, and Jesus, tired from his long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon. Okay, so Jesus is waiting here. So he's at the well. He's waiting. It's hot. Soon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? So she's thinking very literally right now, but you could tell she's processing. Check it out. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals that they enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. I oh sorry it becomes fresh bubbling springs within within them giving them eternal life. Please sir the woman said give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come to these to come here to get these waters. Jesus said go and get your husband. I don't have a husband the woman replied. Jesus said you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So please tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim it here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship?" Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews, we know all about him, for salvation comes through. Notice it's through the Jews, not for the Jews, speaking of Jesus. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in this way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said... I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that illuminates, that guides, that brings us closer to you. Father, I pray that uh, just in this moment as we sit and uh, we read scripture together, that you would just bring to light what you want us to learn. Allow me just to be a vessel that is being poured out obedient to your spirit. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, I want to make sure I get this on the board because I know that there are some serious note-takers in the room. So, point number one, he seeks. Huh? See? Okay, I got it up there. That's good. I always forget, so I'm going to make sure that if I uh, am forgetting, I will I will fill you in. But he seeks. Um, in this famous passage, we need to know the backstory to understand what is happening. Um, the the contrast here we wouldn't get it unless we were in that. Sometimes the biggest chasm between us and understanding the Bible is just culture, um, and so. I want to kind of bring you into that. If you know this passage, you probably know these points already, but that's okay. It's always a good reminder of what Jesus was doing in this moment. And so the Samaritans, so who were the Samaritans? Um, The Samaritans were basically half-breeds. And so a long time ago on a timeline far, far away, there was a Jewish nation and then there was some non-Jewish people. And through all of the shifting and going through history and, uh, you know, taking over this land and that land and going places, uh, they met each other. And that's pretty common. So they met each other. Um, so not only met each other, but they um, they kind of found love with each other. And so they did what people do. And so now there's half-breeds. And so these half-breeds um, were half-Jew, half-Gentile, just to kind of like put it into perspective of Christianese. Um, So because of that, um, the very staunch Jewish people, they didn't like this, and so they were outcasts. And so these outcasts were not allowed to worship, um, as this lady mentioned. They were not allowed to worship in the same places. They uh, rarely were allowed to be around each other. Uh, It was very rare that you would see these individuals interacting with each other, and so they were outcasts. And because they were outcasts, obviously they were a despised people group, Now, I don't have to go through any uh, details of what American history or any history page has ever shown us what racism and marginalization looks like. We know what that is. We know that it comes with a lot of filth and disgust, but this is what was happening to these people, which is kind of weird because the Jews had experienced this so much in their life, and now they were putting it on these Samaritans. And so not only were they a despised people group because they were different of their race and their culture, uh, but they had different theological views and opinions. And so they just kind of had a cocktail, if you will, of all these things shaking up, and the Jews just didn't really like them at all, and they they didn't want anything to do with them. And so Jesus is now, he's sitting at this well, um, and so he is waiting, and all of a sudden a woman appears to him, and it is Samaritan. So the first thing we know about this woman is she is everything I just described. She's the Samaritan. So already there's like this stigma. It's kind of weird. We don't want this person around us, but Jesus is there. Secondly, this woman was a woman. And so back then, and just to avoid emails and stuff, we won't go into like, culture stuff and all that, you know, but back then it was different, okay? Uh, Back then, the difference was is uh, women just had different titles and different positions, Uh, but especially to a rabbi, and I think this is the point that the text is trying to make, the rabbi was not to interact with women, and why was that? So as to be above reproach. They weren't even supposed to really talk to uh, their sister or their mother, which Jesus talked to his mom all the time. But Jesus now is talking to this woman. And so um, the the rabbis really back then were just like, when in doubt, just don't. And so he is going through um, uh, a lot of uh, kind of cultural barriers just to have this interaction. And then the last thing uh, about this um, Samaritan woman was that she was, um, did I mention she was Samaritan? (laughs) Okay, because that's a big deal. All right. And I want to note here that Jesus went through a town that was despised and entered into an interaction that was forbidden. Jesus was waiting for this opportunity to happen. Jesus was very methodical in the way that he was going to spread the gospel. And so he entered into a town that was despised, and he went into an interaction that was forbidden. See, Jesus never was tied down by social norms to forsake the good news, which we call the gospel. He didn't care. He didn't allow his status that now he's a rabbi and he's built up, he's done all the right things to get that credentialing. No, now that he's got that credentialing, he is using it for good. And so he never let race, culture, social social status, religion, politics, gender, keep him from offering salvation I think we could take a lot of good notes. I could stop right there and we could have another full series of what God is doing in this interaction with people. Sometimes it is so easy to go uh, person to person and cast judgment upon who they are. It's actually easier just to not go around those people. And so Jesus is letting us know that it's time to enter into these relationships. It's time to enter into uh, what we would think would be a social norm or a distracted social norm. He wants us there. Today, we can liken that to a whole different type of array of things. Not only are we talking about race in our culture, we're talking about gender identity and things like that. How is a church going to look and how do we respond when those people come and they need to have a talk? And so Jesus is setting up the stage. So point number two, here we go, he saves. So all the taker, noters, people note takers, people. I don't know. I personally don't take notes. By the time I take the note, the person's on the, like the next point, and I'm like, I don't know what he said. I just, I'm lost now. So I don't take notes. So I'm trying really hard, because my wife's a note taker, and she gets mad at me, like when I don't say, anyway. <laughs> we'll hash that out later. He saves. So this next part of the text, and I'm not going to be bouncing back forth. I had like four hours to prepare this, so my notes are uh, just a little um, simple. But uh, the posture that Jesus is walking into right now, he not only is sitting, but he is waiting. And he now sees this lady who's coming up to him. It's like the middle of the day. It's scorching hot. He's tired. He had to walk a long period of time in the scorching sun, and he was doing a full day of ministering. How many of you have ever been on a missions trip? Yeah, it's exhausting, right? You're like, oh, I love painting this wall, but man, I really would love to be in my bed right now because it's hot. And, and the bed doesn't even help because the time you get there, it's like hot and there's bugs. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of the mode he's in, and he's waiting for some water. And this woman comes up to him, and he's like, hey, can I have a drink? You know, it's important to find common ground with somebody. As we are giving the good news of the gospel to people, it is important to find common ground. We are not holier than thou, and we are not better than. We are better off because we have Christ in our heart. But it's good to find common ground with somebody, and so that's what Jesus is doing right here. And in this interaction, he comforted that which mattered most to her. And I want you to take note of that. He comforted that which mattered most to her. See, Jesus already knew who this woman was and what she had done. He was very, very aware of what she was uh, not only doing, but was capable of doing. But he didn't come at the moment she sat down. He just slapped her across the face with her sand and said, I know who you are. I know what you've done. You sinner, repent. He didn't take that posture. No. What he started to do is he started to give her the understanding that she is Uh, looking for something that is deeper than what she understands. That That the longing in her heart that she has been chasing after, she no longer has to chase after. That the thirst that is parching her mouth, she no longer will have to feel that anymore. It's that feeling that you have when you're laying in the middle of your bed in the middle of the night, and you're just looking up at the ceiling, and you're saying, God, what is the point of this world? What is the point of this life? What am I going to do when I grow up? It's that feeling that he was saying, you no longer have to worry about that anymore because I have come to give you purpose. I have come to give you fulfillment. I have come to give you that which you long for the most. You will soon be drinking. He comforted her, assuring her that her life was everlasting and that he was the one that was going to give this to her. He comforted her. He let her know that he... He hears her, and that he sees her. Sometimes the most simple things that we can do with the people that we come into contact with is just to hear them, to hear their story, to hear their struggle. I don't know how many times I've been in a situation, whether it's been here at the church or I was a banker for a long time, And you'll be surprised how many times uh, you get to have life conversations with people if you would just stop and listen, to hear them—not just to listen, but to actually hear what's going on in their heart. And then after that, to understand. See, this woman, she she was coming to get water at high noon. Do you know what that means? That means that this woman was in agony. Culturally. She wouldn't be doing this alone. Culturally, she would be doing this with the rest of the women in her her people group. She would be coming in the early morning or she'd be coming late at night when the sun wasn't going to kill them. She was in agony. Not only was she in agony because the people of her community didn't choose to be around, chose not to be around her, but now she's in agony because she knows that she has gone from man to man to man to man, and she has failed over and over and over and over. And what she was looking for, that fulfillment and that significance, you realize that we do that. We go from thing to thing to thing to thing. And for some of us, it is relationships. We go relationship to relationship, relationship. That's why we don't have good friend groups as we get older, right? Because we're looking for something to fulfill us, to bring us back to the good old days when we were friends with old Johnny and Bobby and stuff like that. My friends weren't Johnny and Bobby. But you get the point, We run from arm to arm to arm to arm looking for somebody to embrace us, to keep us safe, to keep us uh, comforted and to, so that we would be able to just to find that fulfillment. And Jesus is sitting here and he was knowing the whole time that this woman was not satisfied. I think that we have uh, a great responsibility as believers to not only have the conversation uh, of what God is doing and has done in our life, but what he can do for those people. And I think it's because, and I want to, let me just go into this, the next part. So after he comforts her and she starts to say, I want that, I want that. Give me that living water. What are you talking about? Like, I, whatever you're talking about, I want it. Give it to me. And he does something here that I find interesting. And it almost like if you're not reading through the lens of Jesus's heart, it seems like he's trying to trap her, but he's not. He confronts her sin. He doesn't just ignore it. See, he didn't come in swinging, but he didn't ignore it either. And so he confronts her sin and does not ignore it. He confronts our sin and he does not ignore them. So Jesus tells her, go, get your husband. Again, he's not trying to trap her. He's giving her opportunity. Ready like this. Adam, Eve, where are you? Do you remember this? First part of our Bible, right? Adam, Eve, where are you? What do you think would have happened in that moment if they would have told the truth? Adam, Eve, so go get your husband. Go get your husband, Jesus says. He's given her a chance to confess. Confession of our sin often comes with the confrontation of our sin. We have to confess our sin in order to confront our sin those things that have been holding you down. And maybe Satan still has a foothold on you with something that you've been struggling with for years, but you're not willing to confront it. And so she replied, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You have certainly spoken truth. And then he said, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You have to be able to confront your sin. You have to be able to confront your sin. Well, how do you do that? You know what, the God, what God's word is. See, truth what we would call a study of truth, veritology, the study of truth, who is God and what is he doing and what has he decreed and what has he said? This is why Paul's epistles, You know, sometimes we see those like columns and it's like a, a person of God will be like this and he has love, patience, kindness and people who are not of God will have this and malice and greed and envy. He's asking you, Paul is constantly reminding us that we have to come to the point of confronting our sin, David spoke on it. He's like, Lord, forgive me. Even the sin that I do not remember, help me to bring to submission to you. And so if we want to truly be alive with the Spirit and we really want to worship in spirit and in truth, we have to confront that sin. And we have to be honest and we have to be vulnerable. And we can't just live a lipstick Christian life where we just we just believe everything's gonna be hunky-dory. It's easy just to drown out the noise when we put on K-Love and it's the four songs that they play all day. (laughs) Why? God's not dead, he's surely alive. Great song, but pick another one. My goodness. Anyway, that's personal. Um, We gotta confront it. We can't just lipstick over it. We can't be like, I'm too blessed to be stressing all these little things that make us feel like we're accomplishing. Because what's really going to get us to the accomplishment to where we are satisfied, where that bubbling of God's spirit is constantly renewed within us, is when we come to the altar and we lay our sin before him and we say, Lord, I know that you've taken this away, but I don't want anything in my life that is going to keep my intimacy broken from you for you those that are married, you know, and dating and whatever, you know that when you're living with a lie, it hurts. It hurts you first because you know it's going to hurt them. So don't put these patches or remedies. He's asking you to confront your sin today. He's asking you to to understand that you can't just have the first without the last. You can have everlasting life. I'm not saying that he would take it away, but what I'm saying is if you want to be a fulfilled, vibrant, spirit-led Christian, you have to confront your sin, period. Because that's what the Father is looking for. And then my last point is this, is three, he satisfies do you remember the moment you were saved? Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember when you had that conversation with Jesus? When he was like, hey, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Do you remember that conversation? Maybe some of you have never had that conversation. Maybe, maybe there's this principle where you're just sliding instead of deciding where you're not really making that choice. You're kind of just present. You kind of come to church because you think that's what God would want. You kind of don't cuss during the week because you think that's what God would want. You don't do these little things because you think that's what's going to make you whole with Christ. And so you're just sliding. You haven't really decided. You haven't really made that decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you've made that decision. Maybe you have been, uh, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 25 years. But you know what the fear of not only our staff is and the pastoral uh, staff and, and things like that, not only for, for y'all, but for us too, is that we would become 25-year-old Christians but have a two-year-old maturity level or that we would be uh, 25 years of walking with Christ, but our, our depths of his understanding and our realization of his grace and mercy is only about two years old. Because something happened after two years, after three years, after five years, when you started walking with the Lord. This is why communion is so important. It brings us back to that moment. This is why the Lord says, as often as you do this, do you know that that was a ritual that was only supposed to be done once a year, but Jesus canned it differently. He says, as often as you do this, which means that, that, that remembrance moment, that time that you bring back that refreshing and that bubbling in your spirit This says, God, I am so thankful for what you have done. And God is giving you conviction. And remember when you were first saved and when you first came into a relationship with him, you were like, yes, I have vision, I have mission. I'm gonna go do something about this. I can't keep this to myself. But slowly we've taken that conviction. We've hidden it in our back pocket. We sat down and we said, you know, life's just too tough. Or maybe is in your head and he's like, you're not worthy enough to carry forward this gospel message. I mean, let's be real, bro. The jokes that you tell, ain't nobody gonna listen to you. Let's be real, girl. The gossip you shed, ain't nobody gonna listen to you. Listen, there's always time for you to turn your heart and say, Lord, I know that I have the eternal drink. I know I have the eternal life. I, I, I know I've also not been doing the things I should do. My life hasn't been enthusiastic. You ever met a Christian that's just miserable? How's life? That's fine, I guess. It's windy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry, it's windy. (laughs) Maybe it's time to go back to the well to where you first received this drink. Maybe it's time for you to understand what the Lord is is asking you to do today. The last part of this story, the woman doesn't just sit there and sit and sit and sit. No, she gets a reputation in hand, mind you. She goes back to her village enthusiastically. Imagine the hurdles that she had to jump over in order for that community to listen to her. Did she care? No, no. She went and she went and she told and she told and she professed how Jesus had not only given her eternal life, but he, he, he confronted her sin. He confronted her. He said, she, he told me everything about me, everything. Everything that was significant to her standing in the way of Jesus Christ. That her identity has now changed, that he heard her, he understood her and he gave her because he waited for her. Jesus is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. And I don't know what that looks like for you. That's none of my business. But enthusiastically and unashamedly, we tell the good news of the gospel, not only to those who are lost, but to the brothers and sisters in this room. With accountability and a checked heart, we make sure that we are living out the goodness of God.